I'm supposed to be back next month and the month after. We'll see after this service, right? Okay. So I, I thought about, I've never gone up the steps here, and I, I've never got to that point right there. And as I think about this, this path, I think about Moses, where like he's going on holy ground. He had to take his shoes off. I almost took my shoes off before I came up here. So, <laughs> uh, And I say that because I appreciate Bernie Bible for two reasons. One is that there has been a commitment to the Word of God and the primacy of the Word in our lives, in the yielding to that. And it's evident in the folks who, who teach here, the folks who, um, who fellowship here, who serve here. This, this church is sold out to the Word of God. The second reason this, this church is sold out to supporting those who step out in the ministry and in the mission field. And being a smaller body of Christ and the amount of support and encouragement and inspiration that comes out of this body is just a very unique, unique thing. So I I am very uh, privileged. I'm honored to be here. Um, And I'm not sure if Charlie knew what he was getting into by asking me, you know, to to come out. But, um, you know, it's the Lord, right? It's his word. It's his uh, two hours. We've got two hours, right? Okay. Um, I, I, I'm looking at the clock there. I'm already hearing the, the siren, and I'm thinking there's no way. There's no way we're going to get through all this, but we're going to see what the Lord has for us today. Um, last night, I was sitting out on our deck, and we've got this beautiful view of the sky, and I'm sitting there uh, having some tea, just meditating on the Lord, looking at some stars. And this, and this shooting star comes right in front of me. And I thought, you know, wow. That atmosphere protects us, right, from these, from these things coming into that want to hit, hit the earth. You know, and I just thought, wow, just like the Lord protecting us guiding us, watching over us. You know, the Lord is our atmosphere, amen? He is our atmosphere. Not only do we breathe Him, we live Him. He is our protector, our guide, our comforter. And He is our love. He is our redeemer. We're going to look at the book of Philemon, and that's that little letter, one-page letter, right to the left of Hebrews. There's an old Scottish minister, James Stewart. He says, Real love, said Jesus, makes no parade. It is not a forced nor a patronizing thing, but the natural outflow of a God-filled heart. His deeds of love were done quietly. His love was never condescending. He loved men, not because it was his duty, but because he could not help it. He couldn't help but to love us. He couldn't help but to redeem us. Not because he had to, 
Not because it was a duty, but because he loved to. The Father was pleased that Jesus went to the cross and fulfilled all that he had for him. Why? Not because he got pleasure out of seeing Jesus Christ go through, go through the, the suffering. But he glories and he's pleased in the result. In the result. Having his son back in glory at the right hand. Our intermediary. Our Savior. Our Lord. Our love in life. So, with Philemon, this is a very, very short, intimate letter um, that Paul wrote a little backstory on this. Paul, Paul is, um, Paul is writing from prison. He's in Rome. It's his first imprisonment. You know, he uh, appealed to Festus. Uh, to, to, to see Caesar, and he finally made it. And so he's under a house arrest. Um, he's under arrest, but he's got some privileges and so forth, and he's got some folks ministering to him. And one of these folks is a guy named Onesimus. Okay? Now, he's a slave, a former slave, that ran away from a guy named Philemon. Now, Philemon is back in Colossae. So he's writing, he's writing to Philemon. He's appealing to him. He's appealing to him in forgiveness. He's appealing to him in love to allow his former slave, Onesimus, ran away from Philemon, ran to Rome, most likely had stolen something or taken valuables or money to be able to get to Rome. And at some point, while he was in Rome, whether he went to see Paul or not, either way, he, found, he, he fell under the discipleship of Paul and became a believer. And he's ministering to Paul now. And he's dear to Paul. And we'll see that in this letter. When we, think of, uh, when we think of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, this letter is a picture. This letter is a picture. Martin Luther, I, I love this quote from Martin Luther. And then we're going to get right into the text here. Martin Luther says this, This epistle or letter shows a right, noble, lovely example of Christian love. Here we see how St. Paul lays himself out for the poor Onesimus. And with all his means, he pleads his cause with his master. And so sets himself as if he were Onesimus. And had himself done wrong to Philemon. Yet all this he does not with force, as if he had a right to do. But he strips himself of that right. And thus strengthened Philemon to forgo his right also. Even as Christ did for us with God the Father, thus also does St. Paul for Onesimus with Philemon. For Christ also stripped himself of his right, and by love and humility strengthened 
the Father to lay aside His wrath and power and to take us to His grace for the sake of Christ, who lovingly pleads our cause and with all His heart lays Himself out for us, for we are all His Onesimai to my thinking. So as we read through this, I'm going to ask a question. Maybe we can keep this in mind. Are we a slave to the passions of the world? Or are we a slave to the passions of Christ? Are we a slave to the cares of this world? Or are we a slave to the cares of Christ? Where is our heart? Where is our mind? Where is our soul? Where is our being in Christ? Where does our passion lie? Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker in Ophia, our sister in Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough, I'm confident enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal or beg you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you very much. This is very much I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner in fellowship, Koinonia, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, your compliance, your submission, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers 
I will be graciously given to you. Paul never reaches Colossae. At verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristahas, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, your soul, your mind. It's a, it's a short letter, but there, there is, it's rich, just as God's word is rich and it's inexhaustible. Everything on this planet is exhaustible. To some, at some point, it's exhaustible. But the Word of God is not. It cannot be exhausted. It is eternal. It is forever. It is deeper than any ocean, higher than any heavens, wider. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for leaving behind. Thank you for leaving behind what we need to know. Lord, just just what we need. You've left exactly what your purpose, what your will is, Lord, and exactly what we need to know. Thank you for this relationship that we're going to look at today. May we take this word into our hearts, our minds, our beings, Lord. Transform us, Lord. into Christ-likeness, into your love, into your Son. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, there's a lot going on here. A lot going on. Um, When Paul is writing, uh, this is A.D. 61, A.D. 62. Paul is an older man now. Uh, He's maybe upwards of 60 years old. Um, He will die about five years later. He will be martyred by Nero, which is, he's on the throne. He's the emperor. He's got a lot to say in a short amount of time. He's writing Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon at this time. He's only going to write two more books. Well, actually, they're two letters to Timothy. First and second Timothy. After his imprisonment, he heads down to Macedonia And he finds himself back in prison for a second time. And that'll be it. He's got a lot to say. See, the church, not only only were they being uh, persecuted from the Jews and from those around them, there's official persecution coming from Rome now. So persecution is sweeping all the way from the west, all the way across Macedonia, Asia Minor, all the way into Jerusalem. And we know just a few years later, A.D. 70, the Romans destroy the temple for the third time. It's the last time the temple is destroyed. It's a lot lot going on. And in the midst of this, in the midst of this, so much writing is about, is about the church, but it's also about the individuals, how you live your life out. What is God doing in you? How are you living God out in your life? How are you showing the world that you're my disciples? How is that? By loving one another. Not loving like the world loves, but loving as Christ loved. Christ-like 
love. Christ-like love. Affection, goodwill, benevolence, giving yourself over. When we think about and we see love used in Philemon, it's agape love. This is that unconditional love. This is the love that doesn't want something in return. This is the love by giving over and doing and giving yourself over, well, because you can't help it. Because you can't help it. Not because it's a duty, but it's in you and it flows out and it wants to come out. Paul is appealing to Philemon in this love. He is is at the very heart of Christ. He could command this, but he does not. As we should not be commanding one another, we are not to lord over, We are to esteem others higher than ourselves. We are to be humble servants of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. The slave is not greater than his master. To serve, to serve, and to love. And Paul is serving in love as he's pleading for Onesimus. It's how he does it. It's what he does. Slavery back then was huge. It was, it was obviously commonplace. And you had upwards of maybe 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. Now, slaves didn't have, some slaves had it very bad, but a lot of slaves had it pretty decent. And they actually most likely will have lived a better life than a peasant farmer, somebody living out in the country and doing that. They had opportunities to education. They had opportunities to a lot of things that peasants would never have the opportunity to. And a slave could become very, very valuable. Now, seeing the humanity of a person and disconnecting that and seeing them as property, and that's what they did. Obviously, slavery was no different then than it was recently in human history, and it continues to go on in parts of the world. But in this, he wasn't, he wasn't writing to abolish slavery. He was writing on behalf of this one individual in the love of Christ. To see something greater, greater than, the, than this value, this slave value to Onesimus. Something greater than that, the value of Christ, the value of the brotherhood between you two. In Deuteronomy 23, it talks about if a slave runs away from a master, then wherever he gets to, if somebody takes him in, he's not to be, he's not to be given back. He's to, he's to be housed and taken care of. Well, Paul was following that rule, taking Onesimus in, caring for him, not returning him, Well, Roman law said a runaway slave had to be returned. So he's he's looking at Hebrew law. He's looking at Roman law. Well, he deals with it in a way that Christ would deal with it. He 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 doesn't disrespect either law. 
he appeals in the love of Christ to a law that's much greater. That's much greater. Slavery was a big issue when he wrote Ephesians and Colossians at the same, you know, in this similar time. He wrote upon the relationships between a, a master and a slave. It was something that was real. It had to be dealt with. It had to be, it had to be confronted. It had to be explained. What, what's, what, what, what's accepted for a master? What's accepted for a slave in that relationship? And if you're a Christian, this is the desire. This is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. You know, one of the things that really struck me in this letter, and I love, I love this little letter, is that we see this, this individual that Paul had such confidence in, in Philemon. He had confidence not in the person of Philemon, he had confidence in his relationship with Jesus Christ. He had, he had confidence in his love in his Christ's likeness, in the work that God was doing in him. We put our confidence in man, it is misplaced. We put our confidence in Christ, it's exactly where it needs to be. What excites us as Christians when we're in fellowship with other folks? When we see them doing something in the Lord, we see them stepping out. We see them ministering. We see them fellowshipping, helping one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, being there. We're encouraged not because of what a person is doing, but we're encouraged in what the Lord is doing in somebody's life. Look at that. Look at the Lord playing out in that person's life. Whoa, how awesome is that? Are we not encouraged by people who take great steps of faith to serve the Lord? Why is that? It's because we're seeing that they are trusting in the Lord so much. And it encourages our faith. Is Paul not encouraged with Philemon? This letter is a huge encouragement. In other words, it speaks of encouragement. A couple things. In verse 8, if you want to go to verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough, I am confident enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I beg to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. This appeal, this speaks of humility. Paul is humbling himself. He is, he is humbled. Could he demand it? Yes. But he acts, he, he, he acts in humility. He sets down his, his position his authority. What does he do? He, is, he appeals in love. The greatest thing we can do as Christians, as a body of believers, is to appeal to each other, to relate, to fellowship, 
to come alongside, to support, encourage in the love of Christ because it's what sets us apart. It's what sets us apart in the Lord. It sets us apart in the world. Why why does he feel that he can do this? When we we look at these things and how he talks to Philemon, he, he, he talks about his love, his faith. How he has an effect on people. How he's refreshed the saints. He's, he's seeing his relationship with the Lord. He's seeing this transformation. When he most likely met Philemon, it wasn't in Colossae where Philemon's at now. It most likely maybe was Ephesus or Laodicea. And it was years back, maybe eight, maybe eight years ago, his third missionary journey, when he's in Ephesus for about three years. Now, he did stop by there in a second missionary journey, and maybe it was then. But somehow he had an interaction because he mentions, hey, put it on my account, but by the way, you owe me your life. So there really isn't an account that's owed, right? I paid it. You owe me your life. Okay? So there, at some point, most likely, there was this personal, personal interaction and this personal relationship. He finds himself years later a slave of that same person discipling that slave and bringing that slave to Christ. Now, bringing those two back in a relationship, not in the world, and not what was existing, not what had been in the past, all the garbage, all the baggage, all the stuff of the world. No, uh uh-uh. He's bringing them back in a relationship in the Lord. He's bringing them back in in the passion of the Lord. The Lord's passion, the Lord's care. He's taking them to a greater place. He's leading them to a better place, a better relationship, a greater relationship. Humility, humility, being humble in the sight of God is critical to our walk, is critical. Andrew Murray says this, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. What did John the Baptist says? I must decrease, he must increase. What is our humility? We can't make ourselves humble. We don't have a, a program or a, you know, a 12-step program to say, okay, when I get to done, done with that, I'm, I'm humble. I'm there. You know, I've gotten there. No. No. Humility comes with this, this place that we understand who God is. And then we understand who we are. That God is all and we are not. 
What does Murray say? Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self. The disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Amen? Let's disappear. Let's get this self and get it out the door. Let's disappear. Let God be seen. Because that is the encouragement. That was the encouragement to Paul. Amen? He was encouraged because he's seeing a child of his that somebody that he brought to the Lord develop and blossom in this radical transformation taking place. Asking a slave owner to free his slave, pleading for clemency, but not only that, accepting him back as a brother in Christ. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, when this review of Israel, it speaks of at the end of the time that they were on their 40-year wanderings, okay, God says, you know, this, this is how important humility is. I had to humble you, and it took 40 years. I had to humble you. That's how important humility is. God can't work with pride. Pride has no place in the fellowship of God. None. All it does is get in the way, distract, and cause division and problems. Humility, humility being humble, allowing God to be all in fellowship, then He can do all. But to the degree that there's pride or to the degree that there's humility, will God work. Paul is encouraged. And he realizes he can speak to him in humility. That is the greatest, greatest way we can relate to one another. When it really gets down to where we have to um, command We've really lost it. We've gotten to a place where we've lost the connection. We've lost the relationship. There is a disconnect. First Peter in chapter 3, Peter talks about he's encouraging you to have a humble mind. A humble mind. Thoughts in humility. Being thoughtful in humility. Being thoughtful in that God is all. Being being thoughtful that we are to decrease and He is to increase. In verse 21, if you want to fast forward to verse 21. He says, 
I am confident in your obedience, your compliance and submission. I am confident. What do you say? I am confident in your relationship with the Lord that I can actually, I can actually deal with you in this way and have the outcome that I'm sure of. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Wow. So not only is he confident in Philemon's relationship with the Lord that he's going to do the right thing, now he's saying, you're going to do more than what I ask. This this is is such a wonderful uh, picture This is such a wonderful picture of this relationship in the church, in the church body. I'm confident. I'm confident. Forgiveness. Love. Hmm. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The two greatest things the church can do is to love each other and to forgive each other. It's to love each other and forgive each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writes, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this one who causes pain, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. If we love and forgive, we are not being outwitted by Satan. We are not ignorant of his designs. This love and forgiveness trumps Satan's ideas and schemes and influences when we, when we fellowship in humility, it trumps Satan's designs, his schemes, and his influence. Unforgiveness is of the enemy. Forgiving, affirming love, obedience is of Christ. What pains the body of Christ? Unforgiveness. 
being unloving, that pains the body of Christ. Jesus Christ has given us all that we need to live a life of love and forgiveness. He is love. He is forgiveness. We love because He first loved us. Paul paid a debt for Onesimus. A slave. A nothing. A nobody. No social order. Nothing to offer other than a heart laid out for Christ. Other than a life however it was used up to then, now just a life given over to Christ. The world doesn't see much value in that, but God does. More than any treasures, more than anything on this earth, a life given over to the Lord. Wholeheartedly. Our very being, our very soul, our mind, our heart, everything laid out for the Lord. Paul paid a debt. And he paid a debt that Onesimus could not pay. He could not pay Philemon to be free. But his, his, his disciple, his discipler, his, his friend in the Lord, his father in the Lord did speaks to Jesus Christ. It speaks to His love, His redeeming love, His redemption of you and me. Hmm. I'm going to finish with just a couple things here. Warren Wiersbe, as most of you know, if not, he died this last week, May 2nd, 2019. He was 80, I think like 86 years old or something like that. He lived a long life, but I don't think there, there's very few people who haven't in, been impacted by him in some way. His writings, his books, his, his radio ministry. Um, uh, I know, uh, you know, I, I always have a Wearsby commentary out, you know, that I'm going through um, along with others, but um, very, very influential in the... Uh, in the Christian world. And really, anybody who's been a big influence in the Christian world has been an influence in the world. Has had a positive impact in the world. So he says this regarding our debt that is owed to God. It takes more than love to solve the problem. Love must pay a price. God does not save us by His love. For though He loves the whole world, the whole world is not saved. God saves sinners by His grace. And grace is love that pays a price. God in His holiness could not ignore the debt we owe. For a God must be faithful to His own law. So he paid the debt for us. Jesus said to the Father, 
He no longer owes you, Father, a debt because I paid it fully on the cross. Receive Him as you would receive me. Let Him come into the family circle. That's beautiful. What Christ has done for us. May we be those that uh, extend that, that love and forgiveness. I'm no different than, than most, and I can react to things, and I can be in my flesh and not be forgiving or hold a grudge or not be loving, making an excuse not to making an excuse not to forgive, not to love. Making an excuse not to, not to uh, live in Christ's likeness because it's too hard. This world's too much. It's too much coming upon me. Well, God can deliver us from each and every thing that comes across our path in our life. Andrew Murray says this. I'm going to leave you with this. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, life from above. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word, Lord. We pray that this time has been honoring to you. That you have been glorified. Lord, that you've been praised. Lord, that you have been pleased. That our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our words, Lord, has been a a sweet aroma to you. Because all that matters at the end of the day, Lord, is if you are pleased and you are glorified. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for being with us here and now. Thank you for living in us and through us. Thank you for using us in your work of the kingdom. Thank you for bringing us home. Thank you. Lord, you, you are all in all. Help us decrease, Lord, in our lives. And you increase in our lives, Lord. Do that work in us, I pray. Thank you. And it's in the matchless name, the name above all names, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, guys.